welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. So glad you decided to join us again today. I know I say again and welcome back and realize that even though we're 70 some episodes in that this may be the first time somebody's listening to us. So if that's the case, welcome. Uh, The podcast is pretty laid back. We just have conversations with pastured pig uh, growers all across the country about their operation, their setup, the challenges and obstacles they face, and of course the successes and uh, and just all-around good times they have on pasture. As usual, I have another good interview lined up for you all this evening. Uh, Before we get into that, uh, let's do some housekeeping real quick. Uh, As I mentioned on our last episode, we hit the 20 uh, benchmark on our Patreon supporters. Really appreciate that. Now we're shooting for 40. Uh, there's some other neat features we're going to add on in 40. So if you would, please uh, consider supporting us uh, as little as $5 a month. Uh, you can help us out and allow us to expand our pasture pig media. <laughs> so, so talking along that, the lines, we've, uh, we've made some really good progress on the website. Um, but one of y'all reached out to me and actually had a really good suggestion. I think didn't didn't even think about it, but maybe this will be helpful. And I'd like additional input to see what you guys think. So obviously, we know that social media is where we spend a lot of time. Uh, the groups, the the different pastured pig groups that we spend time communicating on, and that seems to be kind of the anchor of communication, which is great. Uh, the one thing we run into, however, is we risk having those groups blacklisted when we start selling livestock on them. In fact, you'll, I'm sure you've seen some of the admins say, hey, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, but there's still sometimes that somebody uh, will use some creative language to say uh, up for discussion or uh, looking for a new home type of thing. Uh, Facebook's not dumb. Of course, they can uh, figure that out pretty quickly. So with that being said, what I was thinking is, do we, uh, do I invest in the time and, and some effort to develop a classified section on the pasturedpig.com website that we're building. And what that would be is a free opportunity for people to submit listings with their contact information, of course. Um, it obviously have to be around pastured piggery, whether it's genetics, whether it's uh, feeders, uh, equipment, supplies, that type of stuff. Then we would, uh, we would allow that to be. It has to obviously be in the realm of, of raising pigs. But let me know what you think about that. See if that. Let me know if that's worth developing. Um, I, I know how to do that. I know that I know a way to put that on a website. But just wasn't sure if that would be uh, if enough people would find that valuable. So uh, comment if you would uh, in a quick email, Troy at RedToolHouse.com, or you can just go to our website, RedToolHouse.com, and use the comment section there, the comment form on Contact Us. And let me know what you think. If I get enough people to say, hey, that's a good addition, then we'll definitely look at adding that. I think uh, that could possibly be helpful, allow us to still responsibly um, sell our, our livestock, our feeders, some of our genetics, rent a bore, whatever it may be. Uh, but still, uh, you know, and then we have control over it, not have to worry about uh, social media, uh, people that are influenced the opposite direction, shutting us down when we're, we're trying to do far, uh, responsible farming practices. 
One quick note before we move on with our interview. You know, I know from doing 70 interviews with people across the country that most of us have tractors to help get the farm chores done. Well, one of the many benefits of having a tractor is the ability to incorporate various attachments, either on the three-point hitch end or the quick-attach front end, you know, if you have a loader. For several years now, Titan Equipment has helped us here at Red Toolhouse with the farm chores via a couple attachments. The three-point hitch auger has been very helpful for setting posts for our building projects or corner posts on our permanent fencing. I was just using the six-inch wood chipper earlier this week to make a whole bunch of chips for the pig trough area that that has become very muddy in the sacrificial area already this season. If you are looking for tractor equipment from hay spears to flail mowers, check out Titan Equipment. Our affiliate link will be included in the show description. All right, well, let's move on to our interview. Tonight, I have on the podcast A.J. Grinelli, and he's with Homegrown Pork and Poultry in Batesland, South Dakota. Now, A.J. is going to tell us his story, of course, and give us some details about what he's got going on there. But this is something a little different. I have not run into this one yet in all the interviews we've done. So A.J. is near the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And not only is he raising pastured pork for, for sales, of course, for, for part of his business, but uh, he's, he's really involved heavily in this food sovereignty initiative uh, with the reservation. And I really like the angle that he's taken on that. I, I love this. I mean, to me, that really plugs in heavy to this idea of supporting local. So not only support local as us, the farmers and producers, hey, support us, we're local, but actually supporting the local people that don't necessarily have access to higher quality food. So I really like what AJ's got going on here. So I, instead of me trying to tell him more about it, let's jump right in and have uh, AJ explain what he's got. Welcome, AJ. Hey, Troy, how's it going today? <laughs> going really well, going really well. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to uh, set aside uh, you know, some time out of your schedule during the day here to talk with me, and I, I know you've got a lot going on over there in South Dakota, so I appreciate you sitting down, and, and uh, we won't burn up too much of your time today. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, got a flat tire out there waiting for me sometime this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Is that on the vehicle or is that on a farm implement? Uh, it's on the truck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. That just, that just really kind of makes the day, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> when I have to go somewhere, I guess I'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it's not in the middle of January in South Dakota and you exactly, got to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so tell me a little bit about a homegrown pork and poultry. So give me, give me kind of a summary of your farm. Yeah. So, um, I raise uh, pastured poultry and pork. Um, we do chickens on pasture and turkeys and uh, raise uh, pigs through a rotational grazing kind of area. We do supplement. And uh, and so we farrow to finish. We are extremely remote, uh, western South Dakota. Um, I'm located on the south side of the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Our nearest city, I guess you'd call it, would be Rapid City. It's uh, about two-hour drive for us. Uh, and so we are just trying to make it work out here in uh, the middle of the prairie. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Excellent. So, okay, so you just you just kind of answered my next question there. So <clears throat> I, I'm not familiar with the topography of, of uh, uh, southwestern South Dakota. 
So uh, is it is it all flat prairie land? Is it um, um, like high desert, like you see represented on TV for South Dakota, or, or is it considered fertile area? Uh, so I live in kind of a a valley that's surrounded by uh, rangeland. So there is a little bit of farming, uh, kind of like a twenty twenty mile stretch um, right around me along along a small highway and. Uh, we are just south of the Badlands in South Dakota, hmm. so it's dry. There's Badland formations around, which are people that don't know and haven't been out here. It's like a a hardened, dry mud. Uh, so every time it rains, any any bare spots look different the next day, sort of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we're so we're kind of stuck between the Badlands and the Sand Hills of Nebraska. Um, 15 miles from the the border to Nebraska and the sand hills start right at the edge of South Dakota. Uh, so some years those are largely sand dunes, and some years they have more grass than others. This year's a little bit drier for us, and uh, so it's it's brown a lot of the year, just yeah. rolling hills of grass. Interesting. So, um, so in your pre-screening information, you kind of said you're you're in a bit of a food desert. So, so does that uh, like uh, a slow ag that's kind of kind of short in that area, or any ag is anybody doing any any massive agriculture in that area right now? That twenty. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of large scale agriculture. Uh, cows, cattle is going to be the biggest thing. There are mm-hmm. kind of in some areas, some people run some sheep, but largely cows are the biggest uh, agriculture. Whether that's cow calf, and there's lots of bull breeders and. And all different facets of the industry there. Uh, some farming, large-scale farming, monoculture farming goes on. Um, but really what, when we say that we're in a food desert, we mean that uh, we don't have access to, to a lot of smaller scale and the actual food that gets produced. Uh, so everything gets shipped in here. Um, on the reservation itself, there's one grocery store, which is... If you come from any any decent sized city, uh, it'd be just about the smallest grocery store you were ever in. Hmm. Uh, and then there's a handful of convenience stores around. Pine uh, Ridge Reservation is about the size of Connecticut, so I think we have five or six convenience stores and one grocery store. Um, so really, most people end up driving at least two hours, depending on where you are, up to Rapid City to to go to a Walmart or Safeway or something like that. Hmm. Um, so access to, to fresh food is, is pretty limited to you grow your own garden or, uh, you don't really have it. Um, so yeah, interesting. That's kind of what we describe as a, as a food desert. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And and it sounds like, it sounds like logistics are an issue and we'll, and we'll get into this as we go through each of our topics here, but it sounds like, uh, maybe the theme of this is how you manage logistics, uh, being so remote and so rural. And when it comes to things going either in or out of your farm. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, so that's kind of how, how we got started. Uh, my neighbors and I, Oh, uh, about seven years ago. Um, I didn't originally grow up in Western South Dakota. I, uh, I'm from, uh, New York state originally, and I moved here about 10 years ago and, uh, was a teacher for seven. Uh, and we just had trouble getting, getting food. I lived, I moved way out in the country and, 
when I say way out in the country, I mean, we would get stuck for a week or two at a time in the middle of winter when it snowed, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, I, I had never really owned, uh, animals. I had, I had a pet dog and maybe some goldfish growing up and, uh, we bought five laying hens and got some eggs and we're super excited that we didn't have to drive 70 miles to the little grocery store or something like that. And, and then, uh, the neighbors started buying some eggs and then the, the next summer we bought 20 chicks, uh, broilers and we raised those and all the neighbors wanted to buy them. So we bought 20 more and then we thought, Oh, we should get a couple pigs. So, uh, we got a couple pigs, raised those. I think uh, that was first two. We sold one and and uh, and ate the other, and then got a few more the next year. And and then after doing that for about three years, we bought uh, a sow and a couple uh, gilt and a boar, and started breeding our own livestock. Uh, just because, again, challenging to find the the quality and type of of pork that we wanted. So. Uh, it's kind of just bloomed uh, from that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Excellent. Well, there, there, okay. So there, you, you said a lot there. I'd like to back up and unpack a little bit if we can. So first of all, so um, uh, from New York State to Western South Dakota, I'm sure a little bit of a culture shock to some degree. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot more trees back east. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> a little greener. Yeah. Um, so you, you said we. So I, is it a partner, wife? Is that is that somebody? Uh, so so, um, I just a couple neighbors and close friends. We mm-hmm. lived out on the same ranch, uh, and kind of collectively, uh, they they also had moved to the area from different parts of the country. Uh, so there was a husband and wife team. And, uh, at the, at this point, my now girlfriend is, is largely involved in all this stuff. So, uh, we being collectively anybody that wants to give a, a nice helping hand and, uh, and participates really. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I assume it sounds like you said that with moving from New York to South Dakota, it was originally your, your job in education, primary education. I assume you took a job, come to South, uh, South Dakota to kind of get your career going. Was that motivation? Uh, well, prior to moving here, I had, uh, I managed a, a nursery. So I was in horticulture, um, tree and shrubs. And I, I got actually offered a, a really great job and, um, I kind of decided that I wanted to try something else. Uh, I had been doing that for about 10 years. Uh, and so I went back to school, uh, moved to South Dakota to the Pine Ridge Reservation and, and taught uh, just to kind of find something new. I had not really uh, explored many, many avenues. And of course, I find myself kind of full circle working outside again now. I'm no longer a teacher uh but I do, I am still involved with the schools. Uh, we're working on, I'm teaching some small scale agriculture and, uh, and we just recently got a, uh, or the, the school that I had previously worked at, we, we got a farm to school grant through the USDA. So we're going to put up some high tunnels and, and work with, with just uh, local agriculture, soil health sort of stuff with, with some of the students and, uh, build something that wasn't there before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh man, that's excellent. Excellent. I'm, I, I'm sure there's some uh, some really interesting stories you could tell about working on the res and and all the things that go along with that. 
Yeah, I, so it's uh, essentially a different country within this country. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I am a guest on the, the lands of the, the Lakota people, right? And so it's a really unique experience. Um, and just the, the different types of people that I've been able to meet, I never would have been able to get in living in the, the Hudson Valley in New York State. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So uh, it's been rewarding and coming up on here 10 years. So kind of in now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so very cool. So, so let's, let's talk about the evolutions of, of once you're there in, in South Dakota teaching and then acquisition of farmland or leasing of farmland. How, how did you go from, cause I would assume that when you moved to South, South Dakota as a teacher, you weren't necessarily buying hundreds of acres or looking for hundreds of acres. In that situation. No, no. So, so tell us about uh, that transition and what you ended up with there. Yeah, so when I first moved out, uh, the reservation schools typically have teacher housing. Um, there's, uh, they're always trying to incentivize however they can to to get staff in extremely remote, rural places all across the country. I don't think that's super unique uh, to this rural location. It's hard to to keep people in education. So I lived in teacher housing. Uh, and then I decided that, gee, I live in the middle of nowhere. Why do I live in the like tiny little town of it's about 500 people, but neighbor is a hundred feet from me. So I, I found an old, uh, ranch house on someone at, on the edge of someone's ranch and, and traded her for a couple of years of fixing the place up so that I could live there. Uh, and then it was, so did that for about four years and, and had a great little place like way out in the country it was about 20 miles to a paved road wow and uh and then decided that uh we we're going to move a little bit closer to to the road or i was and so i i was able to uh find find a, about 10 acres to to rent that had a farm site decades ago so there's some old abandoned buildings there was an electrical hookup and uh and so I built a little, uh, like a shed cabin sort of thing and, and placed it here. So I rent the, the acreage and, and where I keep my house, uh, from an old retired lady that she still, still owns. Uh, I think she's got two or three sections. Uh, so a couple thousand acres and, uh, just, it's the old farm site that her husband, I guess, was mostly grew up on and she lives about a mile down the road in the, in the house they built about 30 years ago. And, uh, we have a great relationship. She loves seeing the old farm site like active and, and my big gardens and, and pigs and chickens. And she always tells stories about how she raised her kids milking a cow and, and collecting eggs and driving them to town 30 miles, uh, every week when, when her kids were young. So, you know, she's 80 years old, has never lived more than about 25 miles from here. So, it's great to talk to her and just just hear the evolution of of the place here. You know what I mean over the past few decades. Yeah, and that's so very, that got me down to here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and man, I, I just love that story because there's so many people that I run into or talk to when it comes to 
either homesteading or, or farming or something, and they just say it's just you know, the barrier to get land, to buy land, is just so high right now. You just can't do it. And, and they always have the conversation, well, why don't you lease? Why don't you rent something? Well, I don't want to, I, you know, I can't do that, or there's nobody that's going to do that, or I'm, you know, I'm going to lease, and they're going to tell me to leave as soon as I get it fixed up. But I love to hear stories like yours of where you're dealing with you know, an aging population of landowners, and and that's circumstance. So, if I heard you correctly, you're ten acres out of a, a thousand plus acre ranch. So you're you're in the scale of things, you're like a you know, a little percentage over here in the corner, but you're you're utilizing the land, and and the property owner is is, is nostalgic from what uh, she's seeing you do and raise and. And it, it's a win-win situation. She's obviously getting income from it. She's getting um, you know, the, the the personal touch of of knowing that somebody's using the farm, and of course, you're getting access to land that you don't have to go out and, and have all that money up front to purchase. Exactly. I mean, it's it wouldn't have been reasonable uh, me growing at the, at the time when we moved down here, a couple hundred chickens and a couple dozen hogs. You know what I mean? It's uh, so purchasing land kind of a, a little out of touch. Uh, and we've, it wasn't easy finding that, uh, finding this spot. And, you know, there's lots of people that are weary also about somebody bringing pigs and saying that they want to run them around on their grass and things like that. And right. we're like, well, I, I don't know. Right. Exactly. Uh, but Especially a I, New Yorker so, with pigs. I mean, that makes it even worse, right? Exactly. <laughs> so when, when I first got out here, a lot of people were always like, this guy, he's, in Easter, he doesn't even know know anything from a hole in the ground, and, right. uh, and now it's pretty funny. They everybody drives by, and they're always pulling in. And uh, here in the West, in the Midwest, uh, uh, visiting is used, or to visit is used as as a verb a lot. And uh, every every interaction is is truly like authentic. And uh, right, my neighbors, like I said, the landlady's a mile, and the next closest neighbor is about three miles to the north. Uh, so we're we're pretty rural, and and it's nice to be able to have the comfort, and you pull in and visit with your neighbors for a couple hours, and and uh, it, everybody loves seeing something going on. Everybody's always pulling in during the fall while the turkeys are growing. They usually rotate around right next to the road, which is uh, a few hundred yards from my house, and and at night they're all perched on their on their coop. Uh, it's on a trailer, or not their coop, but it's kind of like a just a wagon where they, they all sit up and the, the headlights of the cars light them up and everybody all falls always telling me and uh, oh my god all the turkeys they look right at you when you go by and all <laughs> right. down in the, in the bottom and everything and so it, it's great <laughs> right yeah no doubt excellent yeah yeah that's wonderful so so of course I'll, I'll ask you this question then we'll get on to some details of the farm itself but uh, so which is which is worse in your experience right now is it a New York Hudson Valley winter or a western South Dakota winter which hurts more oh, uh, <laughs> South Dakota winters are pretty tough uh, <laughs> yeah it it freezes and it freezes real hard we are uh, we're uh, I can't, the term that they call it, I think the, the point of isolation or something like that, it's the center of North America. So about three miles from here is the point that is farthest from any ocean in North America. Oh, so okay. our yeah. temperature fluctuation is phenomenal. Yeah. Every year we get into the negative twenties for a week or two and every summer we're into the hundreds for a couple of weeks. So it's a, it's, it's a wide range. 
Yeah, yeah, sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's not for the week. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, God bless you and all your efforts out there. So, um, so it's, it's it's funny. I'm looking at your website, and I'll post this information down in our show notes so you guys can see it as well. But you know, in my mind, I don't know if why. For some reason, when I think of the Dakotas, I always think of. Um, Oh, it just totally slipped my mind. But there was a movie with Val Kilmer, and I don't know why I'm going this direction, but it was it was about the Indian Reservation. He's an FBI agent out there, but he's got uh, Native American blood, whatever. So it shows all this Badland stuff, and that's what I just keep picturing in my mind is like, my goodness, yeah, AJ's out here in the middle of this you know, god-awful desert, uh, highlands-type thing. But looking at the pictures on your website, it... It, it's it's beautiful prairie land, you know, green grass, you've got flowers, and just all kinds of neat things that you've got uh, that you're representing there. So it's it's fascinating for a West Virginia boy like me who's who's not been all over the the country to to think of one thing, but then see the reality in your in your pictures and what you're doing. There. Right? So yeah, I mean, definitely seasonal too. And uh, you know, you can go ten miles to the north and and there's some taller hills and they're totally capped in pine trees yeah and then another 10 miles you'll be surrounded by badlands where almost nothing is growing you know what i mean sure. uh, so it's definitely a, a big range of landscape yeah excellent well great so let's um let's drill down here a little bit so you're on 10 acres with um with your hogs with uh, it sounds like broiler chickens you've got turkeys you also do you have egg layers it sounds like as well is that something you uh, said we don't i don't really do uh eggs yeah just the the logistics of of um transporting and figuring out how to to get enough to, to market at a time sure. it has been a challenge and so we've steered away from from egg layers uh there's always there's a few few dozen chickens roaming around the place that that lay eggs and and some of the close neighbors get eggs here and there uh but primarily the business is is pork and then uh and then pastured poultry also so yeah meat yeah Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I heard your rooster in the background earlier. He was doing yeah, some commentary there. So. <laughs> Very good. So, um, what have you, as far as pig breed and setup, uh, explain a little bit about your, your pig setup, how you're pasturing them out there in South Dakota, and then you maybe land on the details you've discovered with your breed and why you've gone in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we, I started with, uh, I got a, uh, sow, a Berkshire sow that was that was bred when I picked her up. So that was our first. The guy was like, I don't know. I think that maybe sometime in a week or a month, and didn't really know much about pigs. <laughs> said, All right, yeah, we'll have piglets sooner or later. Sure. And uh, got and then sure enough, they dropped, and she did great. And we did had basically no knowledge about about farrowing, and uh, she was just in. Uh, like a field pen on about an acre paddock by herself and popped out some piglets a few days after we brought her home. And, uh, she did great, built a nest and we were just kind of so amazed and, and then did a little more research and, and kind of starting to figure out how I wanted to, to work this whole system. Uh, so I knew that we needed to get it or I think that we AI'd once or twice and I, bought a uh, young boar and a young gilt from, I'm sure you've heard of Carl Blake. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so 
that was, that was an interesting day. Oh, I got a story there. Yeah. Yeah. I so, always like stories about Carl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he put, a, a these two, two piglets on, on a transport trailer and it was going across 80, which is about four hours south of here. So got up early in the morning to go meet the transporter at a Walmart right off the exit on I 80 in Southern Nebraska, get all the way down there. Great, great. Got to meet the guy, get the piglets, have them in dog crates in the back. Everything's going great. About five miles uh, back to the farm, five miles from the farm. Meanwhile, we've been driving eight hours back and forth and look in the rear of our mirror and the dog crate comes apart. Oh, the top flying out. Sure enough, sure enough, that little gilt jumps out and starts heading right into the sand hills. And the sand hills are sandy with patchy grass and little <laughs> cactus all over the place we spent the next three me and my buddy who came with me we spent the next three hours chasing this little piglet miles into the sand hills and then she turns around and miles back and we ended up catching her about 50 feet from the truck that is hilarious oh uh, yeah i i was not letting her go that day <laughs> yeah wow man i uh, appreciate so, appreciate your resolve because i'd have been like all right that's a wild one i'm going <laughs> yeah Fair enough, you know had that, we felt like we oh, spent a little money on some on some, some pigs and and we're gonna raise them up right and everything and oh man nobody wanted to quit <laughs> no doubt yeah wow <laughs> Yeah. It was pretty funny. So I brought them home. Uh, so I had a Berkshire, a uh, Swabian Hall Mulefoot Cross, and uh, a Mulefoot uh, Large Black Cross. And um, we kind of stuck with that. I've AI'd a couple times in. And uh, so that was like four years ago. And that's that's been our stock. We have... Uh, raised out some gilts and still still breeding back to that um and so really uh what we're we're trying to do is is keep the that like beautiful meat that we we like and um we select based on on what seems to grow out the best in our conditions who who's gonna there's not many second chances here uh if they don't farrow well uh they they move on and 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 get sold at the farmer's market, basically. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're constantly looking to improve and, uh, and always open to uh, bringing in other genetics if, if we feel like we need to, but also uh, keeping the best of our best. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so, so yeah. where are you right now with your, your breeding sets? What do you, what do you have right now? Uh, so we've got three sows right now. Um, and there's a couple potential gills that came out of a, a nice large litter in the spring that may may get to stick around for some spring breeding. Uh, and so we got one boar and three three good sows that they I need to make sure that they they uh, they wean at least 16 piglets a year. Uh, that's kind of where we need it at. And so if they they don't do that in our harsh environment. Um, then, then we move on to, to give somebody else the, the option. Yeah. Uh, so uh, some seasons the farrowing goes great, and some seasons it's borderline. Um, but we're pretty much a consistent basin. So about every every other month or every two months, we uh, have a litter on the ground, and that's kind of insulated us uh, from 
major weather events. Uh, if we do have a fairing where something goes wrong um, and uh, we, we're not losing dozens of piglets by having everyone farrow at the same time. Right. Uh, yeah. So we, we keep, we keep the breeding stock kind of separated and put in the boar as needed and, and pull, pull sows that are, are getting close to farrowing, but they farrow uh, entirely on the pasture. I expect them to make nests. We have shelters out there in all the paddocks. Uh, so we run about a dozen paddocks. And that's spread over about three to four acres of, of the farm here. Uh, through the, the coldest winter months, we're primarily uh, giving hay instead of just continually beating up the pasture. Mm-hmm. I, like to, I like to plant uh, just through broadcast. And, and uh, the, I find my sweet spot seems to be 24 hours before the pigs move. And it's always changing what we're what we're seeding down in paddocks depending on the time of year. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then all the growers, they, they are, are put together after weaning. So we do keep like a mixed group of growers. And, uh, as we have processing every couple months as well, then we pick off, uh, um, who, who's ready for, for market. Hmm. Okay. So you've got varying age groups in your growers, it sounds like. And then mm-hmm. have you, have you had any issues with far as, as feed ration and then been able to get you know, the bigger ones knocking the little ones out or how, how's that? Uh, so pl- with plenty of feed space, we seem to do pretty good. Um, typically there's 30 to 40 growers, uh, varying age. And sometimes if, if a group's weaned a little bit smaller, we'll keep them separate. Uh, we like them to, to get the, 60 pounds or so that they can rest a little bit. But I think that like our herd size seems to be good. Uh, and since we've been doing this for a year and a half now, uh, we haven't seen really major changes on, on grow out times. Uh, but it also, we have seen major changes on, uh, reduced labor by having, having larger sets of growers. Um, I don't know that we'll be able to stick with that forever. Uh, I know that, some concerns, uh, biosecurity, a lot of people like in out, like complete groups. Um, but right now that seems to be working for us, uh, are, are pretty frequent moving and, uh, and really selecting hard to, to make sure nothing gets to, to breathe. that doesn't thrive in, in the pretty basic minimal labor setup that we, we like to have, um, nothing, nothing's mechanized here. Uh, so it's all, all by hand. We have feeders that we, we go down and pick up a ton at a time and, and fill up feeders or a couple tons at a time. Uh, but no tractors or anything, any big equipment here on the farm. Hmm. Wow. That keeps your overhead low then. That's good. That, yeah, that's the idea. Uh, we just being uh rural, uh, on the reservation, um, Costs need to be kept down as much as possible already. It is like we obviously have to sell sell our meat for significantly more than what's at the grocery store. But uh, the better we can keep closer, the reservation hovers around an eighty percent unemployment at any given time. Yeah. Wow. Um, so so it's definitely there's a lot of poverty around. Um, there's not a ton of money, um, and so we try to to work kind of in that realm uh about a little better than half of our products go up to rapid city and the and the black hills which is in western south dakota that's where like 
Mount Rushmore, mm-hmm. Crazy Horse Monument is and whatnot. And then about half stays down here. Um, almost a quarter of our business is uh, we work with a few uh, food, food banks and local youth centers where we collect donations from people around the country. And essentially what they're doing is they are purchasing uh, fresh local food from me and uh, a few other people that kind of raise raise some vegetables and whatnot. And we distribute that through food banks to people that would, uh, they find themselves food insecure at home. They, they don't have access or the, the financial means to, to, to get food like as this high quality. So that's, that's a big part of our business too, which is really great. Yeah. Wow, man. That's, that's a whole podcast right there. That's something that really intrigues me. And, and, uh... I run into that uh, quite a bit, actually, here in West Virginia. When I put on my other hat as as a marketing consultant, I work with a nonprofit that is a uh, basically you know, homeless and, and addiction recovery and those type of things. And that's the thing we just keep seeing that uh, the impoverished people just don't have access to the, the wholesome food. And it's it's amazing the health benefits, especially when you're dealing with addiction recovery. The health benefits you get out of quality food versus the processed food that normally uh, these men and women get because it it is a commodity it is stuff that's just kind of laying around or it's second or third hand so you you kind of get the you normally see them get the dregs of the dregs and then when you provide this great quality food that's been locally raised it's it's tangible the benefits you can see with with people in recovery efforts and and homeless a hundred percent yeah uh yeah so so we do a a lot of work with uh what's what's called the like uh, food sovereignty initiatives around here. Uh, there's there's several organizations that uh, we're trying to to work so that more food can be produced in uh, within the area as opposed to shipping it in. So we feel that we are a part of that that movement and those those system buildings here. Um, and so by ha- just being from a different area and also having connections kind of around the country, it's really nice to to people that do have disposable income know that their dollars are going directly towards, towards really high quality stuff. Uh, so that's yeah. great. We love it. Yeah. So, so I'd like to unpack that model a little bit. So it's, it sounds like, and just kind of in summary, make sure I'm getting my thoughts together. So about half of your product is going North to where that is uh, you know, retail cuts or holes in halves mm-hmm. going to uh, end user clients, customers. But then the other is is sticking here because you've got uh, a philanthropic area. Now you're not the nonprofit, but you're just providing food through the nonprofit that uh, that purchases from you. Yeah. And so the, when we first started doing this a couple of years ago, we tried to handle distribution, but uh, it made a lot more sense uh, for us to to kind of have separate accounts. Uh, it's purchased and then as food banks and a couple of the organizations that handle distribution of food and things like that. Uh, so, so we love like partnering with, with our local, uh, food bank and, 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 you know, once a month, uh, everybody will show up and, and be able to take home a chicken or like some pork chops, uh, people that, that would not have access to that, that are, uh, rely on EBT once a month sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's really rewarding and, and a great part of, of how we can be better members of our community. We think. Yeah, no, nah, that, that's excellent, man. And, and applaud you for that. That's, that's really neat to see. And, and, and it, 
it's also it, it's I think what's what makes it so intriguing, and this is the 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 marketing guy in me, but that's a sustainable model because it's it's I assume it's still profitable for you as a farmer. You wouldn't continue doing it. But it, it provides the vehicle for people to get access to food that would normally be priced out of the range or not be available to them. But it, it allows you to still have a sustainable uh, model where you, you can still pay for your overhead and, and generate the income you need. Exactly, to, to right. We need to hit a certain amount of, of just quantity of project, pro, production to, to, to even out our overhead. And, and so it, it keeps a another side of income. It's by no means our entire, uh, we do a lot of work to, to make sure that we are, uh, marketing retail wise, uh, locally, but, but to have that as a portion kind of diversify our, our income channels is, is really great for us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, obviously I know we're, we're a pig podcast, but I, 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 I always talk yeah, about, yeah, sorry, I keep, keep, tangent on all this stuff. We yeah, no, no. About <laughs> no, 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 no. In fact, that, no, I'm appreciating where this is going. And, and, and that's what I was getting ready to say is that even though we're a pig podcast, I, I, I like to underscore for those listening that are just getting started or thinking, okay, I, I want to be a one trick pony and just focus solely on pigs and, and talk about the benefits of, of a polyculture. So that was going to be my uh, my other comment was the fact that you provide poultry as well. So the chickens and the turkey and the, you know, they have those other other protein sources. But the the uh, turn on your cash, the cash flow is is beneficial. I've, I think we've talked about this in the past that when you look at broilers that you finish in eight weeks versus a pig that can go six to, to eight months then you've got that spectrum of cash flow that helps with your business model as well and, and the structure that you put your farm together with. Exactly. Yeah. So if you are relying on, on what you can grow and produce, to especially if you're trying to do it uh, from a small scale, like earlier I talked about how we, we bought a few egg layers and then we bought eight, 20 broilers, you know what I mean, and that, that could turn over uh, until we, were, we had enough money to buy a couple pigs and sell that. So then you buy two more piglets, you know what I mean? Yeah. And to just be able to turn over from, from scratch, uh, continually, uh, makes, makes the machine go right. The engine turn. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's, let, let me ask you this question. Cause it's, this is, uh, I'm sure other people are thinking about this as well. So you are as rurally located as you are. How do you deal with processing, and how how much does that eat into your overhead? Is that something where you're traveling, you know, hours and hours for processing? Are you fortunate to have something right there? Are you doing some of your poultry uh, on yeah, farm? so so it, it's it's definitely a challenge. Uh, we do have a, a small local produce uh, processor that's about 40, 40 miles down the road in a little town just off the reservation, and we. Um, for a while, all we did was sell whole and half hogs, and, and then I think we had maybe split it into quarters, so we were doing all custom. And they are also a state-inspected facility, so we did that for a couple of years, uh, bringing, bought an old little two-horse trailer. It could bring four pigs down at a time. Uh, but for first couple of times, they, they felt we were totally nuts, but now we've got a good <laughs> relationship with them down there. Right. Uh, they, they know me well, and... Uh, and so we did that and have state inspected. And just uh, in the past year, we've started bringing some hogs. Uh, we were able to, to be, buy a bigger trailer. 
that we can bring eight to 10 hogs at a time, uh, about, uh, about three, three and a half hours away to a USDA facility. Uh, but the logistics that are, are challenging too. Uh, just getting there, uh, like yesterday, uh, I left at three in the morning to, to get up, uh, to the processor by six 30 in the morning, um, to, to drop off pigs. And that's a USDA process. So we, we are moving our, our retail cuts to USDA. Um, we'd like to be able to, I'd like to be able to just get into Nebraska to sell. Right. Um, that sort of thing, or, or even possibly into to Wyoming, uh, which we're not too far from. Um, so we've done state inspected, like I said, and we're slowly moving into as it becomes feasible for us to do larger amounts at a time, uh, USDA processing. But there's always challenges. Everyone has has stories about about challenges in processing, whether you have a whole bunch around you or none at all. Uh, it seems to be the theme of of the 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 bottleneck, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's <laughs> my goodness. And that's so frustrating too, especially because um, we're a little bit similar in the fact that you know, we've got other state borders close to us and we're a state inspected state as well. And in that situation, it's like, man, I love the relationship I have with my state inspected because he's close. You know, you, it's, it's a little more personal. You usually have those better relationships than you do with a large USDA processor. But the fact that you can't, you know, when, as soon as you cross that state line, then it automatically becomes, um, inappropriate it's 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 frustrating right. yeah very frustrating right. i'm sure so i i can have people 15 miles away they can come to the farm and purchase in state right then they can leave right. with their meat i can't bring anything right down to i know like a little town right in nebraska that has a weekly farmer's market i think that would be great but yeah. that's a no-no you know what i mean <laughs> oh yeah yeah don't, don't uh, me so there's challenges and as as we grow uh it opens up more opportunities yeah yeah definitely yeah, it's it's one of those things that yeah, you know, as as we as producers, small producers, hopefully there's more of us. We just keep growing and growing, and then you know, hopefully our state ag departments will start to look at this and see. It's you know, I have conversations with our state ag, and they're like, yeah, it's frustrating. We get it, we understand. We got to have some guidelines in place, but yeah, you know, it really doesn't make sense. Like you said, that somebody can cross in our situation, somebody can cross the Ohio River, come over to see me, buy a bunch of stuff, and take it back, and it's fine. God forbid right. I meet him on the other side of the Ohio to say, here, here, here's a truckload of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, just, I mean, I, and I understand just like you, both perspectives. I mean, we, like the U.S. has a massive uh, food system that is also largely considered the safest in the world. Uh, so we got to this point by setting this up, but the pendulum needs to swing so that we can maintain safe food, but, but just create better access across the board. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody should be able to have good tasting food, if nothing else. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, AJ, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's talk about future plans. So it sounds like if, if I was hearing you correctly, your, your current operation, your, your, it sounds like you're tying up about four acres with your pig operation. And I assume obviously your poultry's doing some other there, but what is your plans with expansion? So if we had to, if we look down the corridor in five years, where do you see yourself? Are you still on that farm? Are you expanding? Are you kind of staying status quo? What, what do you think? I think that, um, what, what I want to continue to work towards, uh, is, is kind of managing a, a bit more land and, and figuring out how to better, uh, 
utilize the resource to stack species. Um, I, I would like to, to get into some different grazing, uh, our, just on this 10 acres that, that I've been here for a uh, little over four years, definitely have, have watched the, the plant material and the soil kind of evolve. Uh, and so I'm realizing that, that potentially um, we, could, we could get other animals in um, so that they complement each other. Uh, our resource in Western South Dakota is grass. Um, pigs are hard on, on dry land grass. We get about 15 inches of rain a year. Uh, we're well below on pace for that this year. So the grass grows for a couple months every year, and then that's what you have. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to get into just a, a little bit larger scale land management area where we're using grazing and disturbance of pigs and poultry for cleanup. Uh, I think that, that bringing it all together is kind of the, the longer term goal. Yeah. Yeah. No, excellent. So are you seeing in the, in the four years you've been there, are you seeing, uh, the results of uh, your rotational processing, are you seeing a regenerative element there? Is it, has it really manifested itself yet, or is it still, are you still kind of, kind of figuring it out? Are you seeing land improvement, uh, pasture improvement? Yeah, so, so in certain areas, um, and I'd say I'd give this just as much by, by chance as, as planning and, and skill. Uh, in some of our paddocks, we know that we, have timed better, uh, and, and, um, we've added significant amounts of, of organic material to a couple of the paddocks that in the areas they were, were essentially bare when we, when I first moved down to this, this property. Uh, and it, it's funny about a year ago, they, they updated, or maybe it was a year and a half ago, they updated the Google maps image and you can see the, it must have been late in the summer, so and you can see the direct like lineage of of the greenness and what we had planted behind and where the pigs were at that point. Um, I'd say summers we we have in a couple areas that have been used as sacrifice areas, and um, there's a lot of growth in there. It's not necessarily uh, all the plant material that we want to to be growing. Um, but also, I think that that weeds kind of tell a story. Uh, they they tell you what what your soil needs, and though so I guess to sum it up, in in certain sections we are seeing success, and in some sections we are definitely trying to improve and and making sure we're continuing to make right decisions. It doesn't take uh, a lot to to make a mistake and and then step back or get put back a couple steps. Uh, on delicate land like that. So we we're getting better and better at it. Um, I've definitely seen a, a wider range in our species, uh, in our pig paddocks, uh, and a significant improvement in the amount of organic material that, that is in the area. So, so we like seeing that. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I don't realize how much I take for granted the water I get and in our neighborhood and uh, and then talk to somebody like you dealing with with that that 15 inches that that doesn't seem like a lot. <laughs> That's still... Yeah. Uh it's let's see. We got a, a half inch of rain almost like 0. 0.4 
about a week or two ago. And then I don't think we had a drop, uh, for six weeks before that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, it's dry <laughs> Yeah, with everything going on with hurricanes and stuff. I think we've had about eight inches of rain over the last three weeks. So it's been wow. substantial. Yeah. 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 I'd be more than happy but to trade you. The systems are adapted to it. Right. And right. You yeah. Can, you can find what, what works there. There's going to be way differences in, in what it looks like there, uh, where I'm sure that you can deal with or you have issues with plugging up and, and hard compaction and, and mud. Uh, oh, yeah. That's not necessarily the same, same what we're looking at here, you know? Yeah. My, my big yeah. thing with, with where I'm located in West Virginia is topography. So erosion is, yeah. is a huge concern. So that's always yeah. the struggle is you know, mitigating uh, soil loss simply because pigs on the side of a hill and then eight inches of rain, it, it's not a good combination sometimes. Farming is a wonderful, endless uh, uh, task on problem solving, is it not? Indeed, yes. Yes, it is. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Well, AJ, let me, uh, let me wrap up here with a question I like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast, and uh, I won't let you escape this one either, but what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Uh, my introduction to fresh side pork or pork belly uh, it's labeled as side pork here and i had never had and i love side pork now uh, i think being able to eat the the product the fruits of of the labor that is is better tasting food um than i've ever had is is so enjoyable to me and and i think it, it's it's great that's that's my favorite part Wonderful. eating good food yeah yeah exactly i love it cut to the chase nothing deep philosophical here it's yep I, I definitely feel you on that one man well if if people want to learn more about your farm where can they find you online yeah uh so we're on facebook and instagram uh at homegrown pork and poultry and at homegrownporkandpoultry.com is our website Excellent. Anybody out there that has questions or wants to chat, I love talking about the things that we're doing, the projects that we're working on. And uh, if you're ever cruising through Western South Dakota, call me up and then uh, love to visit. <laughs> cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and I, I pray you uh, have good luck with that, uh, that flat tire that it's not, uh, it's yeah, not yeah, we'll, we'll get to it this afternoon. All right. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thanks, man. It was, this is great. Yeah. Appreciate talking with you. Take care. Well, I really appreciate AJ coming on the podcast. I thought that was an interesting take on what he's got going on up there in South Dakota. Well, I appreciate everyone that has responded and that we have scheduled to come on the podcast. I think we definitely have enough interviews lined up. We're actually in the books already to get us through the holiday season and into January. But that doesn't mean we're not looking for more. So if if you would like to be on the podcast, if you'd like to have a specific uh, conversation about a specific topic, then let us know. Or if you would like to recommend somebody to be on the podcast, just go to redtoolhouse.com. Click on the Pastured Pig Podcast link. Soon that's going to be the pasturedpig.com website where we have all this. So hopefully to launch that here before the end of the year. Uh, but anyway, uh, click on that link. You'll see the contact form. It's just some basic information put in there that helps me figure out uh, who to reach out to and when to reach out and what we're going to talk about. So check that out if you want to come on or you know somebody that needs to be on there. Well, I pray everyone have a great week out in the pasture, and we look forward to sitting down and talking with one of you all again. All right, take care. 
We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.